Praise God. Thank you very much. God bless you. How many enjoy and love very much Pastor Charles and April here, magnificent people. You've got to love his heart, the pastor here, his humour and uh, the great ease, the way he goes about his own life and leading the church here. Um, you know, it's just fantastic to know that you have a great pastor and his wife serving you and leading you. I don't know if you're aware of this. I heard a statistic coming out of America from Perry Stone's ministry that uh, in this last COVID season, I think last year alone, about 400 ministers in one denomination resigned. And uh, we've had that a little bit somewhat here in Australia as well. But we thank God for men and women like Pastor Charles and April that say, "Come, what, come whatever comes at us, we will keep on keeping on and pushing on and leading. And for that, we honour you guys for sticking to your guns, keeping to your resolve and leading this church on the other side of our victory. And so we're thankful for that. Thank you very much, guys. You can be uh, dismissed. God bless you. I appreciate you your gifts and your service here. for And then Charles, we're having breakfast from Pastor Charles. And, you know, he was telling me about his grandfather. Has anyone ever heard stories about his grandfather? Have you? You have. And he's telling me about his grandfather when his grandfather migrated over here to Australia and the family got together and said, look, when you come here, make sure in Australia we hear that when you come migrate here and you get a job with a uniform, it pays really well. And so when he came here, he went to different, uh, different uh, interviews and stuff like that. And when they were offering him his job, the job, the grand, his grandfather said, look, you know, I just got to ask one question. D does the job come with a uniform? And in several of these places, they said it didn't come with a uniform. And so he declined their offer. But then finally, he found a place, you know, at Craft uh, uh, Cheeses. And uh, they put him in a white hat, white whatever, you know, white shoes, white pants. It was a good enough uniform. And then at the end of the day, when he's clocking off, he sees a guy across the street with a Salvation Army uniform. And he thinks, man, he looks at his plain uniform, looks at the Salvo, and dashes over to the road, spins the guy around. He said, mate, who do you work for? And the guy says, I work for Christ Jesus. He said, man, I work for his brother, Crafter Jesus. How many think that's nonsense? How many would not put it past him? Anyway. Yeah. Anyway, praise God. What a great uh, testimony from you guys. Magnificent. And uh, we are called to pray for the sick and lay hands and believe God. And so that's what we will keep doing. Uh, personally, I want to exercise my faith a little bit more like that. Uh, we had somebody preach at our church. Uh, stirring up the church, you know, 1 Corinthians 14, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Um, you know, we're on about our natural gifts, but desire spiritual gifts. You think, what are the spiritual gifts? Look up 1 Corinthians 12. I have always had an appetite for the prophetic, but this pastor said there's more. And so I thought, Lord, you know, it's been, I, it must be 30 years since I asked you for a spiritual gift. I said, oh, you know, you kind of feel a bit greedy. I said, I wouldn't mind I wouldn't mind the gift of praying for people to see them healed and praying for the gift of faith. And I just want to challenge you all, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. They are there. 1 Corinthians 12, look them up. Come on, let's pray together. Hey, we've had a good weekend, hasn't it? It's been a great weekend. Mates, which you can pull off in three weeks. Incredible, you know. And uh, what, a great, uh, what a great thing to see so many people support 
what you had on your heart to do. Father, we thank you, Lord, for the precious power invested in your word. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but your word will remain forever. And we pray for that power, the power of that word. That word that is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joint and marrow, judging every thought and intent of the heart. We give you praise for that word. That word that builds faith and confidence and courage. That word that brings comfort. That word that brings correction, reproof. We give you praise for it and we pray. Lord, unleash it this morning and let revelation come to our heart, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And you're watching online, I suppose is that camera up there, right at the yeah, You're watching online, a very warm welcome to you wherever you've tuned in from. We pray that you are feeling the atmosphere and the sense of God's presence and touch here as we look at his scripture. Um, I want to... Um, I want to draw your attention to something that I think um, in the last two years what we've experienced is a contention with one particular word. And uh, in in the last two years, particularly last year, I was very mindful of a guy, a pastor in England called Glenn Barrett. And he was working at that time years ago for a boss. Um, and they were growing plants and whatnot um, up, I think, in the Toowoomba region uh, in a hothouse. And, uh, and Glenn had rung his uh, next-door neighbour who was a champion orchid grower, also in a hothouse. And uh, Glenn was managing his boss's hothouse and he could see that the plants were dying. And so he thought he'd ring his friend who was a champion orchid grower to get him to come and have a look and see why the plants were getting the brown tinge and looked like they were, they were on their road to dying. So the next day the orchid grower comes to the, to the greenhouse and uh, he doesn't even look at the plants. He steps in to the hothouse. He doesn't even investigate the plants. As soon as he walks in, he says to Glenn, ah, he says, I know what your problem is. He said, how can you know what the problem is? You haven't even had a look at the plants. You haven't diagnosed the plants. No, no. He said, I know what your problem is. And if you fix one thing, you've fixed everything. And he said, well, what's the issue? He said, I can tell that by the atmosphere, your plants are rotting and your problem is the atmosphere. He said, fix the atmosphere and change the atmosphere and things will grow. He said, just like that. Yeah. So God spent five days creating the atmosphere before he made man. And only when the atmosphere was right was man given the ability to reproduce. If we want to reproduce and bear fruit and thrive and flourish, atmosphere is is exceptionally important. So I want to speak to you on one word today. I want to speak to you about atmosphere. What shapes atmosphere is what I call the ABCs. Attitude, A, shapes B, 
behaviour. In turn, it creates C, culture. Attitude shapes behaviour and behaviour determines culture. Culture. You have generic culture. Oh man, I'm going off on a tangent already. You have generic culture and you have specific culture. Cafes all sell coffee. But not every cafe has good service, friendly staff, and or is it tidy. But they all sell coffee. Churches have generic culture. Church is a place of worship and a place of his word. But I tell our church, our specific culture is clap your hands, all ye people. Shout under God with a voice of triumph. So some churches are quiet. The generic culture is worship, but specific culture is raising hands, speaking in tongues praying for the sick, believing for miracles. You with me? It doesn't diminish one church's importance from the other because we all want to worship God. But some of us have a specific culture in a particular way that's important to us. And one time on a Sunday not too long ago, I was driving this really strong off the platform past Charles and I got off the platform and thought, oh Lord, you know. I hope people like me at the end of this. (laughs) Because I was saying to the congregation, if you're visiting here, and I was telling them what we're like as a church, as a Pentecostal, faith-filled, fired-up, zealous, enthusiastic, passionate church. I said, "If if you don't roll like that, you're going to find it difficult here. But there are many good churches who love God. And so culture is important to understand it, but make no mistake about it, our attitude shapes our behaviour. Our behaviour shapes culture. That's why people's homes are often different from each other. Generic culture might be family. We all might eat in a home. We all might spend time in a home, but how we do that defines who we are. Atmosphere. In 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 1 to 3, these next few passages of Scripture are so relevant in the day that we live in and have been incredibly relevant to me personally these last two years. The Bible says that David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. You know, he's on the hunt, isn't he, from King Saul, who's jealous of him. When his brothers and his father's household heard about him, they went down to him there. All of those who were in distress, debt and discontented gathered around him and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. We don't know how many women and children, but we have a count on men. From there, David went to Mizpah in Moab and said to the king of Moab, Would you let my father and mother come and stay with you until I learn 
what in the world is going on with me? Let's paraphrase. His life is out of control. He's not in control of his circumstances and many of us have experienced that last year and possibly the year before. What do you do when circumstances and situations and life and society dishes up a scenario where you're not in control anymore? And he's in an atmosphere that's not very, <laughs> it's not very flash. I do like the first thing that he does is that he wants to look after his most immediate family. He's in a pickle. He's in an awkward situation. And says to the king, would you look after my mother and father? I'd love to preach on just that. The honouring of your parents, even in a time of trouble. And so David, first of all, come with me in your imagination. He comes to a cave let me draw your imagination first and foremost that he firstly finds himself alone in this cave. There ain't nobody else there. Sometimes when you're alone and not in control of your circumstances, there ain't nobody else to help you dig deep except yourself. There's no band, there's no worship ministry, there's no pastor, there's no ambience or, a or sense of uh, atmosphere about you or around you that might help towards making you feel better. There's nothing but you and your issue. That's it. And in times like that, you really find out what you have within you. Warren Buffett uses the terminology in regards to investment, but I used his terminology with respect to what we'd been through with COVID. Warren Buffett says, when the tide comes in, everybody's swimming, but when the tide goes out, you find out who's naked. When COVID came in and the tide went out and there was no more corporate worship and you had to be locked up in your home and you were watching online or doing the best that you can, if you didn't have an internal atmosphere and an internal depth and an internal something built up within you, you might have been found wanting. I spoke to one pastor and I said, how are you managing this? He said, oh, I just told the church you're on your own. I said, did you? He said, well, in reality, you can't visit them at home. You can't bring them to church. I just told them, look, you're on your own. Love the Lord, dig deep, get in the Word, press in, pray, worship, get your family together, get the Bible together. Probably a little bit of an element of truth. What do you think? Do you think it's fair to say there's some truth in that? So then on top of that, you know, he finds himself in a cave. It's chaotic. It's confusing for him. You're trying to make sense of your situation. Maybe your confidence is rattled. Maybe, maybe you feel depressed, oppressed. Maybe anxiety, concern, worry has overcome you in the cave. Maybe you're wrestling with anger and disappointment and failure. I'm not sure what he was wrestling with. Maybe there's someone here. And you're in something like that. You've lost things. You're ripped off. You're abandoned. 
You can be a pastor and be in, one, in a situation like this. You can be a prophet. You can be whoever. It's no respecter of people. What's fascinating about this story is that David's on his own. Now, listen, just one moment here, right? When you're going through a difficult time and you're trying to work out right from wrong and your back is against the wall and you're in your own cave, you don't need another 400 people who are depressed and disillusioned and distressed to come and join you and say, hey, listen, you got room for me, man? I'd be saying, go get your own cave, Mac. I said to students, I say to students sometimes in college when I lecture there, I say, listen, how would you feel? You finished seminary school, you finished Bible college, and the, uh, the, the, uh, the principal or the academic dean comes to you and says, listen, there's a placement where you can be a senior minister. There's a church of about 1,000 people, because these are 400 men, women and children, let's say 1,000. The, the pastor comes up to the young protege, just finished Bible college. We really believe in you, man. You've got an anointing. You've got power. You've got an authority about you. You've got this capacity. You've got a love for people. We are going to send you to a church of a 1,000 people. And the young guy goes, a 1,000 people to start off with. That's incredible stroke in his ego, doing a good number on him. He says, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, you're going to have a building. You're going to have facilities. You're going to have everything that you, you would ever want with a church of a 1,000 people. There's money. There's generosity his business people oh wow he says that's amazing yeah just one thing what's that they're all depressed distressed discouraged and in debt and they've had enough of it would you have another church maybe that <laughs> David became leader of this situation involuntarily Involunt I just feel the Holy Ghost on me right now I feel like the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you. You didn't order it on the menu of life, but God has got you involuntarily signed up for your situation that you're in to bring something to it. Stop for a minute and say, I don't know why, but I'm meant to be here and I'm meant to bring something to my, my position and situation that I'm in. And so the thing that happens as you unfold this story is that in 2 Samuel, remember I just read 1 Samuel, in 2 Samuel, one book later, chapter 23, watch this fascinating passage. During harvest time, three of the 30 chief warriors came down to David, where? Same cave. Well, wait a minute. Did you just read that? That's the same cave, man. Hang on, hang on. I've got to backtrack, backtrack. Let's go back to that, the previous book in 1 Samuel. In there were 400 despondent, disillusioned, distressed people in debt. Do they all? But how in the world do 30 chief warriors end up in a cave? 30 chief warriors rose up from 400. Where did 30 mighty men come from? In that same chapter of 23 verse 8, you know who's numbered among them? Joseph is numbered among them. One man took out 800 enemy soldiers. 
Then in verse 18, Abishar took out 300 on his own. Then in verse 24, 30 mighty men are listed. Where did they come from? They come from the same cave. And my mind, when I read Scripture, says this. Hang on a sec. In 1 Samuel, the atmosphere was depressive, depletive, exhaustive. People were in debt, disillusioned, discouraged, discontented. And we're in the same cave. Now I know that for things to change, something had to shift in the atmosphere. Fix the atmosphere and things grow. So what happened? Wouldn't you be asking the same question? What happened in the atmosphere? Well, we have to work out what the Psalms were that David wrote in that environment. And I don't have time to unpack all this. In Psalm, Psalm 142, 57 and 34 were written in this cave so that we get a glimpse of his mental, social and emotional state of King David. Your atmosphere is very much affected by your social, your mental and your emotional disposition creates atmosphere. If your external atmosphere is like, is overwhelmed, watch me there, watch me. If your external atmosphere is huge and overwhelming and your external, those of you watching online and those of you here, if your external atmosphere is this and so overwhelming and your internal atmosphere is this, you're in trouble. If your internal atmosphere is this and your external you internally will affect what's external. Otherwise, the external will affect you internally. You're with me? So something's going on here because the external environment of that atmosphere in the cave in 1 Samuel is very, very depressive. So by reading the passages of Scripture, I'm led to believe here that it's highly possible that David's internal atmosphere was completely at odds with his external environment and he created the shift. One man. So I wanted to know what were the Psalms that he wrote there because it told me about his mental, emotional and social disposition. And in Psalm 142, he's on his face. In Psalm 57, he's on his knees. And in Psalm 34, he's on his feet. Unless you're on your face and on your knees, you won't know what it means to when you are needed to be on your feet. So what changed in the cave? What changed in there? Jesus Christ understood the importance of atmosphere and he was son of the living God. You say, how did he understand the importance of that? In Mark chapter 5, verse 37, I don't have it on the screen, verse 37 to 43 in Mark chapter 5, Jairus' daughter 
is sick and died by the time Jesus came to the home, if you remember. What did he encounter in verse 40? They laughed, they ridiculed and they mocked him, thinking that the dead could be raised. Remember that? What atmosphere was that creating? Jesus removes them. In the New King James Version of verse 40b, it says that he put them outside. Nice way of saying it. He put them outside. In the Greek, the word is ekbalo, which means he drove them, forced them out, compelled them out. Jesus was so committed to atmosphere, he said, you've got to get out of here. Come on, get out, please. Get out. And I want to say to you that Jesus dealt with the mood before the miracle. I do love it when I hear of different people, they, they position their mood really well before they come to church, before they even get there. Sometimes difficult with young kids if you've got them in the car. Lord. <laughs> Young kids, oh, jeez, I'm so glad that they've grown up and got married. <laughs> and now they've got their own kids. And you feel like saying it, you know, suck it up. <laughs> when your kids are young, man, eh? I remember one time the kids are tiny tackers and I walk into, um, walk into the lounge room and Kate, my wife, is losing it with them. I said, love, come on. Can't you pull yourself together? <laughs> I said, look, some of this stuff's not necessary, you know. Bit of composure, bit of control, wouldn't it? What would you know? Well, I think it was three weeks later, we went on a holiday to the Gold Coast, did a road trip. That was the last time I did a road trip. And we're, <laughs> we're an hour out of Geelong. We're one hour out of Geelong. And we're driving. And the kids, they're losing it, man. And I'm, I'm driving, you know, like, what a bit of respect. <laughs> and I turn around and I go, Will you just shut up? Shut up! Kate looks at me. <laughs> Control. Composure. Wow, that was impressive, man. <laughs> so with kids, I know it's difficult. But by and large, the... There's still a good number of people that don't have those challenges and I admire the ones that say, your pastor, we, we get up in the morning. This is before going to corporate worship, not just even your personal life. We create worship in the house, in the house Sunday morning. We're dedicating and consecrating the atmosphere in the home in preparation for church. So when we get there, we're on song. And I'm thinking, Wow. Boy, if we could all do that, if it was possible, I reckon that would make an incredible difference. Just a thought. Imagine if you cultivated that atmosphere during the week like that. 
So I want to know what happened in the cave. Jesus dealt with the mood before the miracle. So Psalm 57, Psalm 57 What an amazing psalm. I would consider that this psalm is one of the most eye-opening psalms in the entire book of psalms because it's a confrontation between two atmospheres. External, internal is at play here, if you watch me real carefully as we unpack it. So insightful, so powerful that we should... Be mindful of its effect in our own life and circumstances. What you're going to read here is you're going to read the Psalms 57 broken up into different stanzas. And I'm going to introduce you to Psalm 57. You're going to see a section here, then a section here. Section here and a section here. Section here and a section here. What do I mean by that? David is in a very awkward position in this atmosphere and environment. And so he vacillates like we all do. He's conscious of his external environment and then he's conscious of the God within. And then he talks about his external environment, but he quickly comes back to the God within. And we do that. Watch how he does it. Watch how he does it here. In Psalm 57, he starts off with the internal. Have mercy on me, my God. He's in the cave writing this. Have mercy on me. For in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Watch the revelation here. Until, until, until the disaster has passed by. He knew that this was just a temporary arrangement that he was in. I've been telling our church for the whole year last year, church, this is temporary, 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 temporary. Hold it together, man. Hold on to the unity. Hold on to the agreement. Hold on to the spirit that keeps us together. It's temporary. It'll be water under the bridge. We don't want to come out to the other side and have relational carnage. Temporary. Apostle Paul says, for my afflictions are but temporary. Now, if he can say that about his afflictions, temporary. Stuff comes and stuff goes. What's left is our ability to stick together. Until disasters part, I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. Exodus 14, 14, yeah? He fights for you. Then, then now we switch, right? Number, verse three. He sends from heaven and saves me, rebuking those who hotly pursue me. God sends forth his external. There's people in pursuit of my life that want to kill me. External, verse four. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts. Stop, stop, look. He's not talking about lions. He's not talking about beasts. Those of us committed to the language of dreams and visions understand the language of symbolism. He's talking about people. 
I don't have time to get into this, but I do a whole stuff on the prophetic understanding of dreams and visions. But when you dream of animals and you see animals, animals often are depictive of your emotional state, your responsive state and all that sort of stuff. He's accurately describing what's going on here. He said, I lie in the midst of lions. That tells you the depth of severity in the atmosphere of this cave. I'm in among people who are lions, who are like ravenous beasts. Men whose teeth are spears and arrows and whose tongues are sharp swords. Imagine the verbal pus that's coming out of the people in that cave who are discontent and disillusioned and upset. Imagine what they're saying about their Prime Minister. Imagine about what they're saying about their State Premier. Imagine how discontented they are with civic authorities. Imagine the verbal carnage that's coming out of their life. Imagine the words that are spears and arrows and that are assassinating and cutting words and, 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 and words are so piercing and dividing and negative and pessimistic. And he says, I'm surrounded by this. But only externally. And then he goes, and then he goes, oh, I love it. Love this man. Verse, eight, verse 5. I'm among lions and ravenous beasts whose tongues and words are like spears and arrows. Be exalted. Be exalted. How many remember that old song? It's where it was written. Be exalted. Oh God, remember that one? Above the heavens. Remember that? Let thy glory be over all. That was not written, man. That was not written in some candlelit room with a little bit of a, 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 a what do you call it? A dim light shining upon the keys of your pianos you're playing and your wife brings you a cup of coffee and biscuits and you're just chilling out. That thing was written in the darkest day, in the darkest dungeon of this man's life. Then, then you write a song. Then you need to sing. Then you need to find something internally that's far larger than the atmosphere of your external world. It's been a great exercise. This last two years has been an incredible exercise in human behaviour and thought. It's shown us who we are. It's shown you who you are. Man, I'll tell you, it's shown me who I am. It's a great revealer of what you're carrying inside. The day that came where I thought, man, I'm going to stop watching all this news all the time. I've got to stop exposing my spirit to all this stuff. I've got to be able to lead the people that don't have too many nice things to say about the Premier, the Prime Minister, the, the laws, the restrictions. The, oh, my Lord. And then I thought, God, it's, it's not good, but it's not, it's not what it was under Nero in the Roman Empire where the Christians were fed to lions and taken into the Colosseum and tied to a stake and burnt so that Nero could display them like palm trees burning 
down through the corridor of his gateway into the palace like the Christians suffered like you wouldn't believe. I reckon they'd, say, they'd look at us and think, what are you people on about? I said, I've got to lead these people, Father. Be exalted. My heart is steadfast. Can we have the keyboard playing? Come. My actually, let's just have the whole band come. My heart is steadfast. How many times, how many times does he how many times does he speak into his internal world? How many times? Watch, can you read that up there? I've highlighted the, the words. It's all the same word. I will sing and make music. Awake, my soul. Awake, harp and light. I will awake. Three times just in a row there. Awake, awake, awaken. I will praise. I will awaken. I will sing. I will, I will, I will. I will praise you, Lord. I'm going to do it among the nations, man. I'm going to sing among the people. When there is no song, I will have the song. When there is no word, I will have the word. Where there is no joy, I will be joyful. Where there is sorrow, I will bring a sense of cheer. I will awaken it. If the sun is not coming up, I'm gonna make the sucker come up. I'm gonna do it. If the people are depressed, I'm gonna be joyful. If the people are down, I'm gonna try and build them up. If the people feel pushed back, I'm gonna lead them forward. If the people are over come, I'm going to tell them we are more than an overcomer. If the people are negative, I'm going to be positive. If the people feel like, oh, the whole world is collapsing upon them, I'm going to tell them about that we are not of this world, but we are of a kingdom of the Most High God. I'm going to tell them that we are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, that we are more than overcomers in Christ Jesus, that within us is a praise, within us is a song, within us is a skip, there's a step, there's a bounce. Get up on your feet, people. That's what I would be saying. And that's maybe what we should do here right now. We should get up on our feet. We should shake the stuff off of ourselves and say, that's the past. We are pressing on in the future. Who can say Amen? Amen. 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 Someone has to come out of the defeated mentality here this morning. Someone who's been empty, you've got to step into fullness. Someone who thought it's all over. My good friend, it's just about to begin for you. Pastor, I've lost everything. Well, you're a recipe for God's resurrective and restorative power. You've got no idea, Pastor, my life has been a nightmare. Get ready, you're about to live a dream. Pastor, it's been dark, it's been difficult. I've been discouraged. But your God is able. He is able. You just got to shift the atmosphere and watch things grow. Someone's going to get their joy back. Someone's going to get their dance back. Someone needs to get their praise back. Somebody needs to get their peace back. Somebody needs to get their joy back. Somebody needs to get their patience back. Somebody needs to get their trust back. Somebody needs to get their faith back. Somebody needs to get back what was once yours because it was never, ever for the taking or to be stolen. Come on, let's worship the Lord.
Come on, let's lift him up. 